Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masach Psachim, daf kuf yudchet. Really getting into the final stretch here, Ann. Uh, it's really sure, unbelievable. I know. Please make sure to sign up for Asiyam if you have not done so. We're looking forward to finishing Masach Psachim uh, on Sunday together, Bezrat Hashem, uh, 11 a.m. in the United States. Well, I should say on the East Coast. 5 p.m. in Israel. We have a wonderful group of speakers. It is still not too late to let us know if you would like to join some of those speakers and our co-learners to share some Torah. Um, but with that, this is a long and well, I just want to I just want to interject. I'm sorry. Um, the last day of Masachat Sachim, just so everybody should realize, is actually Monday, and we'll begin Shkalim for those of you who can't make the Siyum or have fallen behind in Sachim and feel that you you know you, you can't even make it up. Join us for the beginning of Shkalim on Tuesday. Exactly. But we'll have a podcast on Sunday and on Monday because, you know, Anne and I try not to miss a day. <laughs> okay. So, uh, and then we'll deal with Pesach announcements later. Uh, this is a meaty daf with lots of little snippets of which we're only going to be able to get to a few of them. Um, I want to go through this part that's kind of starts in the middle of upper middle top of Amad Alter. I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. Kashim zinotav shalatam kalpaim kayoleda. Dilo viyoleda ketiv ba'atzev ubimizano ketiv ba'itzavon. So um, the Gemara here is talking a little bit about how difficult it is for a person to basically get food and sustain themselves. Um, and so Rabbi Yochanan says that the task or the ability for a person to get food is twice as difficult as the suffering that a woman experiences in childbirth. Um, and the way that he decides this is, is he looks at two psukim, one, they both use the word etsev, right? Be'et, you know, be'etsev, which means in pain. But the one that appears in Bereshi talking about, um, uh, sorry, the, the one that uh, is, uh, talks about in Bereshi about childbirth, right? That woman will now suffer in childbirth, which in the Bereshi per Gimel, Pasuk uh, Tet Zion, chapter three, verses uh, 16, it says be'etsev, in pain, but it's in the singular. But in the next pasuk, in verse 17, where it talks about that man's punishment is going to be um, that, you know, it will be difficult. There'll have to be a lot of work in order to get food, in order to eat. It says, um, which sort of is a more more than etzav. It's, you know, etzav is one layer. is a is another layer. And I hear what Rabbi Yochanan is saying. It's interesting to see that those two words are placed in those two psukim with the punishments that are met after Adam and Chava eat, you know, from the tree when they're not supposed to. And so it's comparing, you know, the etzev and then the 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 Gemara goes on now to another one that Rabbi Yochanan explains. I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. Kashim is an otav shaldam yoter min This one is fascinating. The, the work that is required for a person to get food is more difficult than the redemption. Again, quoting a very famous pasuk from Bereshi chapter Memchet, uh, pasuk uh, Tetzayin, uh, chapter 48, verse 16, right? Many of us say this at night. The angel who redeemed me from all evil, right? Malach ba'alma. So this is just uh, this is just an angel who's going to protect everybody. But when it comes to um, to to food, right? And then this is quoting the pasuk beforehand, um, and so it says, "God has been my shepherd, 
right? All my day. And again, a shepherd is somebody, it's a type of job. It's a way that somebody earns a living. And so the shepherd needs to be protected by God. But an angel's the person is all that we need to protect us from evil. And again, it's using the same methodology. Rabbi Yochanan is looking at two psukim, which talk about a state of human existence next to each other, and he's comparing them. So Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, now they're, you know, it's a similar statement. Here they're quoting a pasuk in Bereshit. This is the third pasuk after the Etzev and Itzavon one, right? Where it says, thorns and thistles, right? You will bring forth, right? Zalgu enab demaot, right? His eyes streamed with tears. In other words, Adam's eyes streamed with tears when God told Adam, that it was going to be hard to work the land. You were going to work the land and what was going to come out? Thorns and thistles. Amr Lefanav. So Adam says to Hashem, Ribona Shalam, Ani Evus Echad. Right? He says, me and my donkey are going to eat basically from the same trough. We're going to eat the same food. So then God answers him. And then this is the fourth Pasuk here. This is, uh, again, Perak Gimel, Pasuk Yetet in Bereshit. Right, he said, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So then his mind was settled. In other words, he knew he wasn't going to have to eat what donkeys have to eat, but that he knew that if he worked hard, at least he would get bread. And so man's mind was settled. I'm a Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish. So Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish says, Ashreno im amadnu barishona. We would have been fortunate enough, right, had we been under the first degree, decree, and we were basically able to just eat what this is talking about is like the herbs of the field, the vegetation. But and we but we have not totally escaped from this decree because sometimes we're still stuck eating grass. Like we don't always can't always eat bread or things like that. Sometimes we're still stuck eating uh, grass. I'm a Rav Shizvi Rabbi so Rev Shizbi says, citing um, Rev Elazar ben Azaria, right, is one of the Tanayim, right? He says, Kashim is an otab shaladam kikriyat yamsuf. So now this brings us back to our discussion of Pesach, that getting food is even harder than the miracle of kriyat yamsuf was, right? Dechtiv, as it says, notain lachem l'chol basar, right? This is quoting a pasuk from Tehilim, per kuf lamed vav, pasuk kafe, chapter 136, verse 25. Um, where it says he gives food, right? Hashem gives food to all the to all flesh. Usimechle, right? And then it says later on, it says earlier, right? In Pasuk Yud Gimel, He divided the Red Sea into uh, what's Gazarim, like into different um, into different pathways, right? The idea that has to do with the midrash that when the Yam Suf was split, it wasn't just we always look at it as like you know, see on one side, see on the other side, but actually there were like different pathways within the sea itself. There were multiple ones. Um, and so the point is, is that because the two of those appear in the same parak of Tehillim, uh, they're, they're, they're equal to each other. So here it's interesting. It's not Kashim is an Otav Shal Adam mi Kriyat Yamsuf. It's not saying that it's more difficult than Kriyat Yamsuf. It's equal to how difficult the Kriyat Yamsuf was. And then finally, this section concludes with, right, Amar Rabbi Elezer ben Azari, another quote from Rabbi Elezer ben Azari, Kashin kavav shal adam ki yom hamita u kriyat yamsuf, right, that when a person cannot 
properly go to the bathroom, right? And if anyone's experienced that, you know how painful that is. It's as difficult as the day of death and also as the splitting of the scene. Again, here he's looking at two psukim next to each other in Yishayahu from Perak um, Nun Aleph, psukim Yud Dalit and Yud uh, Tetvav, verse 14 and 15. The one in 14 says, uh, right? He bent down. Those who bent down will speedily or will quickly be loosed. Will be will be loose, and then later it says Right? It says who stirs up the sea and the waves roar, roar. So this 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 thing about you know being loose is meant to sort of be uh, is a euphemism, I think, for going to the bathroom. Um, so you know this is an interesting passage. We've seen a lot of midrash halacha and masach pesachim, and this is really sort of a type of midrash agada, and. It's just great to see how well and carefully the Tanaim and Amurayim read these psukim. And here they're using a different technique where they're really, we've seen many, many examples where they take a pasuk in one place and in a different sefer, you know, they look at the same terminology or wording and they make some type of inference because of that. Here, this is a different type of reading. What, the, what they're trying to accomplish here is by saying, here we have different psukim that appear either in the same chapter or appear one after the other, what can we learn from that? What is that telling us about the world or our experience in the world? And, you know, the idea that getting food, obtaining food is really one of the most difficult pieces um, of human existence. Again, we go into a supermarket today. I don't, they're not talking about Parnassa here. They're not talking about the idea that you have enough money to buy food. They're really discussing sort of the, you know, physical, work that it takes in order to to produce food itself. And I think just, you know, juxtaposing it to the process of giving birth, right, which or the process of doing a, of having of witnessing a miracle, right, like the one of create Yamsu or the Gula makes a lot of sense, because I think that's also even underscoring. I mean, if you really think about it, the idea that a human being can take earth, you plant some seeds, you work it, you water it, you do all these things to it. And then like food comes out of it. It's miraculous in itself. It's actually amazing. And so what it's comparing to in all these scenarios are, I think are things that involve transformation, right? Something did not exist before and now it exists now. So we know that happens with childbirth. We know that that happens with the Gaula. We know that that happened specifically with Kriyat Yamsuf, right? There was water and then we became dry land. And so I think it's speaking in hyperbole in a way, but it's really expressing how difficult and yet how amazing it is. I mean that in the awesome sense, it is for humans to actually produce food. So I'm thinking that it might actually be not hyperbole in that these two, um, what? These two actions, behaviors, uh, ways of being are the curses, right? That happen in Gan Eden when Adam and Chava, when Adam and Eve eat from the fruit from the tree of knowledge and then so eve is told that she will bear children with suffering right and adam is told that he will have to toil by the sweat of his brow to to get food right as compared to what happened in the garden of eden where they could just get the food because it was on the trees or whatever so i'm wondering if that's part of the the discussion here is that these are the two things that like that's the man's curse and that's the female's curse and and that's how they you know, this is considered the difficult thing for each for each gender. Um, 
you know, going back to Eden, um, as far as that goes. I, I, I don't want to take that, you know, too far. Yeah, but I, I think mean, that maybe there's something... I'm using the word hyperbole because, like, I can't even imagine how hard it is because it's so not what my life experience is, right? Yes, people have, there's inequity in terms of access to food, but certainly we don't work for food in the same way. And I think the emphasis here is really on the work it takes to produce food, not the ability oh, to for purchase sure. food or to sustain yourself with money. No, um, I think like Little House in the Prairie books where they're, yeah. you know, the wheat crop is gone in a flash of grasshoppers, you know, that kind of thing where where we, it's true, we live in a land of, land of plenty, world of plenty, uh, certainly in the Western world. And frankly, it was one of those things, you know, think back a year ago when the pandemic began and one of the immediate things that like all over the world, people, you know, whatever authority said, don't worry, the food chain is not going to be disrupted because we now live in this global food chain. And I, I do think it's completely different from what they're talking about. For that matter, I think childbirth is rather different from what it once was as well. Um, perhaps not on the individual woman, but the you know, the intervention possibilities and so on, you know, it's, it's the, the potential for, I think the potential for pain is still there. I think the, the ability to dispel that pain or the ability to save somebody who's in distress, you know, is obviously very, very different. Absolutely. I'm handing it off to you now. Okay. So I'm going to, I just, one other thing I wanted to say was about the Kriyat Yamsuf, this idea of Kriyat Yamsuf being the difficult challenge. So two things, first of all, we're going to discuss this again, when we get to Masachat Sota, please God, uh, because there the idea is it's presented that what is God doing with his time, you know, all this time since he created the world, he's been making matches and that is as hard as Kriyat Yamsuf. So I feel like there's this catchphrase, you know, that the most difficult thing ever for anybody, for God, is Kriyat Yamsuf. And then I'm reminded of this sheer, I guess, uh, sicha that I've once upon a time uh, had a long, I don't even know what book it's from, maybe it's called Hadea Vahadib or something like that, by Rav Shlomo Zaman of Saratskin, where he says, what are you talking about? It's very easy to split water, right? The splitting of the water is not the hard thing. The hard thing was keeping it separated, right? For the people to walk through a dry shot. So I feel like this metaphor or this claim that Hashem Yamsuf, this idea that this is the hardest thing, even for God, is is a fascinating, it's a much more fascinating metaphor, I think, than or 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 issue to be difficult, then um I think we take it for granted. And I feel like we, Yardana, you and I will need to unpack it in to greater extent, you know, on some other daf that is less uh chock full than this one. I'm gonna continue with our snippets now. As Yordan, you said, there's a lot of, you know, we said this is a snippety daf. There's a lot of little parts that I think together come together, obviously, to make a whole. There's some themes here, I think, that come, that jump out, including this business of, of how difficult things can be. Okay, so I'm continuing right, Yordan, from where you left off. V'amar of Sheshat Mishum ben Azaria. Call him, and you'll recognize Rebelezer ben Azaria's name from the Haggadah, for that matter. Call him, and you'll Anybody who disparages the, the holidays, the festivals, it's as if he's engaging in Avodazar uh, idolatry. Why? And this is, as you said, Yerdin, it's two verses that are literally next to each other. These two are both in Shemot Lamadalad, chapter 34, one after another. Don't make idol, idols for yourself. And it's written right afterwards, that you should keep the holiday of, of the Matzot. Right? So the idea is that the implication that comes from that juxtaposition, which may or may not be, you know, uh, a necessary inference, but the Gemara makes it here, is that if you 
you know, the idea that you're not supposed to make make idols, and also you're supposed to keep Pesach, the implication is that there's a connection that if you don't keep Pesach, it's as if you're making idols. Um, which I think the limit itself is a little bit challenging here. I think it's a little bit difficult, but I think that the point of like, you know, pay attention to the Moadot and keep them carefully, I think is well taken. If anything, I would say, you know, why might it be a Vodazara? Because if we say that these are the mitzvot that God gave B'nai Israel to establish the holidays that we, that the Jewish people establishes the calendar, even if it's, you know, according to the dates that are in the Torah, I might think that that might be a more idolatrous kind of thing without the, without the verse play, right, of them being juxtaposed right next to each other. Um, and the Gemara then continues, So this is the, this is the path now. Right, we've got a few statements here of Sheshit in the name of Rebelazar Ben Azariah. Call him a Lashon Hara, anybody who speaks Lashon Hara, um, slanderous speech, I guess. Vachol Hamekabel Lashon Hara, anybody who accepts slanderous speech. Vachol Hameid Edut Sheker Bechaviro, anybody who gives false testimony against his friend. All of these people are fit to be thrown to the dogs, which is, I feel like, such a modern expression. And here it is, right? And and again, we have two verses that are juxtaposed. You should send them to the dogs. And immediately thereafter, again, we're in, uh, this is in Shemot 22 and 23, right? At, but like, again, right after each other. The idea is that you don't um, take God's name in vain, um, which, I'm sorry, which is in the, in the context of not giving a false report. Excuse me. So if you're going to say that you're spreading rumors, uh, which is, of course, what Lashon Hara can be, or Lashon Hara is perhaps halakhically, we have different definitions of Lashon Hara than just all evil speech. But the idea is that any of these things are considered just so bad. They might be so bad anyway, but the juxtaposition of the verses gives you this this, uh, language of throw them to the dogs. Um, and then, interestingly enough, the Gemara kind of leaves off of all of this and goes back to talking about Hallel and talks about Hallel as, you know, the thing that we give praise. And in these, um, the first thing it talks about is five special reasons that we say Hallel. It's Yatmi Trium, Exodus from Egypt, Kriyat Yamsuf, the splitting of the sea, Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, Triyat Tametim, the resurrection of the dead. And the birth pangs of, of the coming of the Messiah, meaning all of these are mentioned in Hallel. So that makes this Hallel an important thing to be saying. Hallel, specifically the, ver, uh, the Psalms, the Mizmeri Tilim, Kuf Yud Gimel 113 to 118. Um, and then it goes on to literally to, to explicate the, the, some of the verses of the Psalms, some of which are very well known. You know, but say Israel Mimitraim, which we know from saying Hallel. Um, you know, the the sea that f- that fled and the the mountains that skipped like rams, right? Uh, you know, the the language is poetic and it's very beautiful, and it's I think it's for many people very familiar. Even people who don't say Hallel so often in davening are still familiar from from, from the Haggadah. Um, I wanna you, you want to comment, Yudina? No, no, no. I go on. Okay, so I just want to jump down to one more thing on, what are we on? Ahmed Aleph here, which is that in this context of Hallel, right, the, the Gemara says that Hallel also has an illusion within it when it says, Halu et Hashem kol goyim, shem kol ha'umim, that whole section of Hallel is an allusion to the 
to Hanan and Mishal and Azari who came out of the fiery furnace. And then the Gemara beautifully, really beautifully, takes this discussion and puts it back to Avram Avinu and his experience, which is found in the Midrash, not in the Torah, of the fiery furnace. This is again from the verse in Psalms. Gabriel, the, the archangel Gabriel, Gabriel said that the truth of Hashem or the truth of the Lord endures forever. And so the Gemara explains, at the time that Nimrod, the wicked Nimrod king of that area in the, that time, uh, threw Avram Avinu into the, the fiery furnace, Amar Gavriel the angel Gabriel said before Hashem, before God, I will descend, meaning Gabriel says he's going to come down, and he will cool the furnace. I will save this righteous person from the fiery furnace. God says to him, He says, well, I am unique, says God, and Avraham is unique, and it is fitting for the unique to save the unique, meaning that God himself is going to save Avraham, not the angel. So he says, um, just as God uh, does not withhold a reward from anybody who you know is seeking to do a mitzvah or some kind of good good action, so he says to to the Malach Gavriel, you will be able to save Shaloshami Bnei Banav, three of his descendants, namely Chanel, Mishal, and Azariah, which is a very interesting. And I don't want to take too much time here, but this midrash about Avram and the Kivshan Eish is a very interesting story because how do we even understand that Avram went to the fiery furnace and? I, you know, some other time we can talk about a really careful reading of a verse in Sefer Breshit that gives us, or gives Chazal really, the capacity to link that story. But the explicit story is, in fact, the story in the book of Daniel about Hanano, Mishra, and Azariah. So the fact that the Gemara puts them together so perfectly here, you know, it's, it's not a given that the text talks about Avram and the fiery furnace. It's a midrash that everybody learns when they're little. And it's a testimony to Avram's monotheism and so on, the fact that God saved him. But it's not a given, you know, and really the story is about Michelle and Azaria. So I'm just very pleased to see it all here. And it's, again, these are some of the most famous stories about faith, right? Uh, monotheistic faith that we have. Right. And I just want to point out that that story with Abraham does not really appear in the text. It's really a midrash. And the connection between that and the other furnace is that they all take place in the same area, right? Like that's Ur-Kazdim. And the, you know, the furnaces with Nebuchadnezzar, who's the Melech of the Kazdim. There's a lot more to talk about here from a biblical point of view. Um, but the, the link between it is always very interesting. Um, I'm going to close out with just one small passage here that I liked on Amud Bet, um, even though there's so much that we could have talked about today. Um, and uh, it reads here as, a, as follows. Um, the Ode. Right? Rabbi Yishmael says he was he's quoting his father's teachings uh, to Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, and he says in the future, Egypt is going to give Mitzrayim is going to give a gift to the Mashiach. In other words, when all the nations are in front of the Mashiach, Egypt is going to give a, a gift. Kisavor a no mikabel mehem. And what's going to happen? The Mashiach is going to think 
he shouldn't accept it, right? Why should he accept a gift that comes from uh, that comes from uh, that comes from Egypt, right? And so he says, Amar lo kadosh baruch So the kadosh baruch says to the Mashiach, Kabel mihem, right? You should accept it. Achsania asui levanaim b'mitzrayim, right? And so he's going to say, you know, they they gave lodging, right? To my people, to my children in Mitzrayim. Miya atiyo chashmanim mine Mitzrayim. And so then they they uh, quote uh, a pasuk here from Tehillim that says, "Noble shall come out of Egypt." I thought this was a beautiful passage because it's recognizing, you know, as much as we're going to spend our time on Pesach now to talk about all the bad things that Mitzrayim did for us, the Gemara here is really recognizing that there is a a little bit of kindness that we owe Mitzrayim. And has, and even the fact that the Mashiach doesn't understand that. And Hashem has to come and say, right, because remember what brought us there to, to begin with, it was that there was this famine. And because Yosef was in the position of power that he was in, you know, the Cairo at that time agreed to take in Yaakov and all of his children and, and, and all those people and give them land so that they were able to live. And the idea that, you know, we sort of, um, you know, when the Mashiach comes, we're going to need to accept this gift from Mitzrayim, that we owe them a certain gratitude. But also the idea that even the Mashiach is not going to be able to recognize that gratitude, that Hashem is going to come. And then I read the stop. I'm like, well, will the Mashiach be familiar with the stop of Gemara? So will that question not even happen? <laughs> um, but I just thought this was a beautiful passage that actually brings, you know, there's complexity to that story, right? Like we were hosted okay there at first, and then it turned bad. Um, and do we sort of owe the Mitzrim a, a, a little bit of a little bit of gratitude because of that? Um, I think it's a really important kind of lovely point. I think it also speaks to the idea that, you know, we're not supposed to. This is a discussion for another day as well. But this idea that we're not supposed to rejoice at the downfall of our enemy. Right. Meaning we want the enemy to be downfallen, but not to rejoice. The idea, I think that's easier to keep in mind when we remember that. There's also good that came out of it. A hundred percent. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rink us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.